Yesterday, we got to spend some time right here in this building celebrating the life of Pops, Don Rogers. And I heard all these stories about how Pops connected with people, how present he was with each of you as he held his styrofoam cup of coffee in his hand, and he'd put his hand on your shoulder, a hand on your heart, and say, how's it going? How's your walk with Jesus? And you didn't, you didn't think, oh, Pops is thinking about someone else, somewhere else. He was with you and present. And that's what we love about Pops. That's what we celebrated about him yesterday. He frequently would find some transient in front of Safeway. That was one of his favorite fishing holes. Who would be out there asking him for money. He says, I don't, I don't give you money, but I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Can we sit down and talk? By the end, this man is weeping. I've heard story after story after story from him. This man is weeping and receiving prayer and thinking about what his next move in life is. As he got older, uh, I noticed he walked slower. You notice that, Donnie? He, uh, he started sauntering, maybe a little bit shuffling. And this only made it easier for him to see others that were in need around him. I think it was a secret weapon for loving others, walking slowly. Because when he walked slowly, he would recognize needs and stop. And he wasn't in a hurry. And I wonder if part of his being present with others was in part because he refused a smartphone and he went with a flip phone. He would tell you, I don't text. You never saw him doing this as you were talking to him. He wasn't checking out some new thing on Google. And I think this was a subtle act of resistance against our light speed culture. He's like, mm. I want to learn how to be present with others like Don was. Maybe I need a flip phone. At the reception yesterday, our friend Gaylord Enns challenged us men, would we step into this place with Don going to heaven, then it vacates an opportunity for us to be bold, to be ambassadors of the gospel, to be ones who are perhaps walking slowly and noticing others. And if that's you this morning, flipping the service upside down right now, uh, if you'd stand, say, you know what? I'm willing to step into that place. I'm willing to grow in boldness. It's not gonna happen tomorrow, maybe, and not perfectly, but I wanna step into this place because I recognize it's been vacated, and now it's time for, as the seed dies, now it actually bears more fruit. There's more blessing and more blooms. Because men of God, it's time for us to rise. And women, if you wanna stand, you can as well. There's, this is not exclusive to men, but specifically to us men, I think it's time for us to rise. It's time for us to be dangerous as we walk into a place because we're willing to love well and be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing in that space. And when you carry the Holy Spirit, you, ca you carry everything you need for life and godliness in that moment. And so if you wanna just assume the position of receiving, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd fill us up. We stood in a place of obedience saying we wanna answer the call. Uh, we, wanna, um, we wanna see Don's life multiplied a hundred times over. 
We want to be a people who are dangerous for your kingdom because we walk slowly. We saunter into a place and we're looking to see where you're calling and, and us to, to engage. So invite us into new places. Teach us by your spirit how to step into this posture that Don carried and help us to love and, and change our city, see lives transformed and changed. Uh, may you do the miraculous through us. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ in, um, in Hebrew. Just in case you thought I just decided to speak in tongues this morning. There's another Mr. Rogers with the same mindset. One of my heroes. My family gives me a hard time because every time I talk about it. <laughs> Mr. Rogers waged a quiet revolution. He was resistant like Don Rogers. He was resistant to the, the fast pace of children's programming. He didn't like cartoons growing in noise and speed and stimulation. He knew that this kind of programming was wearing down the sensitivity to violence and would lead to anxiety in children. So he led a revolution. You wouldn't think of it as a revolution. He was resistant. He went out of his way to portray a quiet, safe, silent atmosphere. You can imagine the TV executive saying, Fred, you can't do that. You cannot stay for 10 seconds not saying or doing anything. That's like a year in TV time. People will turn you off. So Fred Rogers practiced a posture of slowing he intentionally used silence and pace to get others to reflect on the things that are important. His pace was slow because loving one another isn't a hurried type of practice. It requires being fully present with the person in front of you. You don't love others accidentally. He said this, silence is the greatest gift we have. And he fought for it wherever he went. You see, for decades, he started every single meeting with his staff, his team, with let's spend one minute in silence, thinking about the people who have had positive impact on our life. And then he would take his watch and said, and I'll watch the time. When he met at the White House with the president, the vice president, and the executives of PBS, he did the same thing. He wasn't intimidated by their position or their authority he recognized that silence was powerful and even when he received his in 1997 he received his lifetime achievement award at the emmys look at this next video clip it's just a minute and a half look at how he slows down an award show but how do we make goodness attractive by doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own, by treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves, and allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life 
has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take 10 seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us and wanted what was best for us in life. Those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. no matter where they are, either here or in heaven. Imagine how pleased those people must be to know that you thought of them right now. So Mr. Rogers wasn't in a hurry. His thoughtfulness, if you've watched him He received several Lifetime Achievement Awards. If you've watched the clips of these, and I encourage you, go on YouTube and look at them. They're low resolution, but they're powerful because there's all these A-list stars sitting just weeping all of their mascara off as they actually have maybe their first moments of total silence reflecting on what's what's in their hearts. The truth is, That slow or silent space doesn't mean wasted space. No matter how much the world tells you it does, silence is still golden. So we're going to continue this series that I'm calling Learning the Unforced Rhythms of Grace. This phrase that Eugene Peterson uses in his paraphrase, the message as he explains what Jesus' intent was in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. In the first week, we talked about God's intention to lead us to rest, and the Psalms talk about that specifically in Psalm 23. Last week, we observed that Jesus' light yoke is not just about learning what he said and applying his teachings, although that's important. It's actually beginning to imitate his lifestyle and walk with him as if we're walking in a yoke, lightly fitted at his pace. So this week, we're going to look at a posture, what I'll call the posture of slowing. I'm not the first one to call it that. We're going to see that Jesus kept a slow pace and margins. So while, while he was overwhelmed by all kinds of demands of people, he could be fully present in the moment with the person in front of him. We're going to see that Jesus is interruptible. He's willing to flex. And he sees earthly interruptions as divine appointments, invitations to engage. Finally, I'm going to mention just some tangible ways. For those of you who are looking for a tangible list, don't you worry. I got a tangible list for you. Ways that you can begin living into the spiritual discipline of slowing. The truth is our culture is in a huge hurry. We're driven by a hunger for information. I was looking at some stats. In 48 hours of time, the amount of information and data produced in the world will, have, will, will be 
equal to all the information from the beginning of time, this side, I guess, all the way to 2003. In 48 hours, in two days, that much information is produced. That's crazy. The amount of data that we consume in a day, one estimate was, would have been one person's entire lifetime's worth in 1574, in one day. In 1967, there were experts who came before the U.S. Senate subcommittee and said, we're really concerned about the speed of technology, about satellites and robotics. It's going to present a real big problem for Americans in the workplace in the years to come. What was the problem? People would have too much free time. With all of this technology, they concluded this. By 1985, some of you remember 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year or retiring at 38. True story. These people should have been fired, by the way. The reality, average American works almost four more weeks than they did in 1979. A Harvard Business Review conducted a study on the to change in social status, on how we view status in America. It used to be that leisure was the number one thing, right? You got time to sit on the beach and sip your fancy little drink with a little umbrella and go on these like wonderful trips and things like that. It's now shifted, and the, so, the social status is now busyness being the perception of wealth and social status. And you see it even in advertising that, you know, you're doing the power meeting after work at the such and such, and you're able to do that because you've got all these gadgets and things. So a century ago, the less you worked, the more status you had. Now it's upside down. The more you work, the more stressed out you are, the more important supposedly you are. And the less, and if you relax, the less status you have. Here's a scary stat. Average iPhone user. This is an old stat, too. It's got to be worse than this. 2016, touches their phone. How many times do you think that they touch their phone on a given day? Average person. Thousand? Higher. 2,617 times. 2.5 hours on average a day. By the way, my average for this week was full disclosure. It just came up at 9 o'clock this morning. 2.1 hours on my phone a day this, this week. So average 2016, two and a half hours a day, over uh, about 76 sessions of looking at your phone. The power users doubled that. In 2017, the millennials uh, were polled and it was, it was easily double. I can't imagine that it's, that it's more now. And this is just the digital side of things, the onslaught that's trying to speed up our life. So I just want to ask you a couple questions as far as like if you feel rushed and hurried because we don't need to talk about this stuff. Maybe you don't even have one of these. Bless you. Do you find yourself counting how many carts are in the supermarket line to try to find the shortest line? Anybody do that? Probably everyone, right? Uh, do you find yourself frustrated when someone is driving the speed limit in front of you? Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. You know it's 25 out here on Notre Dame Boulevard? 
you have an opportunity to sin as soon as you leave church. <laughs> it's hardly any time at all. Do you see multitasking as a normal part of your life? <laughs> so hurry is not a kingdom principle. It's just not. It was Corey Tenboom who once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. A Finnish proverb that said, God did not create hurry. John Ortberg said, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. We'll talk a lot about hurry over these weeks of this series. But Walter Adams a man who I haven't read a lot about, but he was the spiritual director to a guy you might have heard of. His name is C.S. Lewis. Walter Adams says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Spoiler alert, I'm about to turn your life upside down. Actually, Jesus is. I'm just his mouthpiece. Because I think this is an epidemic in our culture. And I think in order for us to get in alignment with Jesus, we've got to make some serious changes. Hurry seems to mess up our walk with Jesus. Because if he's the one on the other side of the yoke, he's always walking more slowly. So Jesus isn't in a hurry. Where do I see this? Man, I read like through the whole gospel of Mark, by the way. Hopefully you're reading Mark. I, I already got finished. Check. Um, it's not a competition, but I was reading it specifically for this purpose. Where does Jesus get interrupted? And is he in a hurry? So that's what I was reading through that lens. You ever read something with like a lens? I want to look for this and you, you read it through just looking for that. So you can read a little faster that way, by the way. So Jesus, let's talk about Mark 2. Mark 2, paralytic, he's on a mat. His four friends go, hey, we got to get you to Jesus. Jesus is inside. The whole town is there. It's all crowded. They can't get him in. They go up on the roof. They tear through the roof tiles. He's teaching. He's healing. He's doing his stuff. And all of a sudden, he's got stuff falling all over his face. Here comes this mat lowered down in front of him. And he heals the man. He gets completely interrupted. I would actually argue in looking at Mark this week and, and the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John as well, that Jesus almost never gets to plan anything. He's always responding to what's happening around him. He's always being interrupted. Matthew 19, he's teaching once again. Everybody was bringing their, their kids. You gotta bless my kid, you gotta bless my kid. The disciples are getting ticked off. He's like, he rebukes the disciples. What are you, it's your deal? My, my sermon's not that big of a deal. Come on, bring your kids. Come on, let the little children come to me. And he puts his hands on them and blesses them. Matthew 8, Jesus, he's had a long day. By the way, Matt, the, the stretch between Matthew 7 and Matthew 9 is like interruption, 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 interruption. Poor Jesus, he's like pulling like at least 14 hour days. He's exhausted. So he's in the boat. He goes to sleep in the bottom of the boat on the cushion and a storm comes up. It is ferocious, and these are fishermen. They, are, they know how to do the sea, and they are afraid they're going to die. So don't think these guys are wimps. This is a really, really life-altering moment, and so they wake up Jesus. They interrupt him from his sleep and go, Jesus, we're going to die. 
Jesus gets up. Imagine. Peace be still. We're done with this. Where's your faith, dudes? Come on. So those are just three options, three options of places where Jesus is willing to be interrupted and he's gracious. Uh, But I want to look at one passage specifically to show us how Jesus deals with interruptions and how he models for us this posture of slowing and creating space so he can partner with his father and loving others. So Matthew 9, I've got it on the screen, but you can also turn to it if you like. Um, So context, uh, verse 18, he is teaching. Once again, this guy cannot get through a sermon without getting interrupted to do some ministry. He didn't mind because he's not in a hurry. While he was saying this, in other words, while he was preaching, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. That's great faith. Ooh, come on. What does Jesus do? Sorry, I got to finish the sermon first. Jesus got up. He was probably teaching, sitting down and went with him. And so did his disciples. Why did his disciples go? Because his disciples, their goal is to learn everything that he does and imitate him. So they're watching. So there's interruption number one. Next verse, verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, mind you, Jesus has already been interrupted once. Verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Now, he gets interrupted again. He gets interrupted from the interruption now. And Mark 5, I put it here on the slide, gives us a little bit more context for what's going on. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago, if you were, if you were with us. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, because Jesus is like, who touched me? And he's waiting. And she comes and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. That doesn't mean she just came clean. She told him the whole story. Well, Jesus, it started when I was X amount of years old. Why do I know that? Because the writers of the gospel talk about going to the doctors and not getting healed and all of our money going away. And like the whole story. Like, no, Jesus is on his way to heal this dead girl. Like, you can't stop him. But Jesus waits and hears the whole story. He's willing to be fully present for the whole story. What love Jesus has in that moment. Willing to be interrupted. And then, verse 23, when Jesus then was able to enter the ruler's house, saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, said, go away, the girl is dead, but not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. How'd you like to be the person who mocks Jesus? After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Jesus is happy to be interrupted, even on top of his interruptions. And by the way, he's not lazy. Jesus does, he has tons of demands on his time. He works very hard but you don't ever see him in a rush and you see this slow pace. Now, it would be one thing to say, well, yeah, that was just how Jesus lived in his day. But he actually tells us this is the way we're supposed to live. 
And this is where I see it in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is in Luke 10. And if you don't know that the parable of the Good Samaritan, the point is that this, you know, a priest and a Levite, these holy men pass by this guy who's been robbed and he's naked and he's bleeding and left for dead. And yet it's the Samaritan, the half-breed race that the Jews despise that actually puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for him, takes care of him and says, if there's any more, here's my credit card. I'll take care of it later. And Jesus says, who, which of, the, of these three, who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The idea of loving your neighbor. An expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan because it was so prejudiced. That for a different sermon. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We're supposed to live like the good Samaritan who's willing to stop and be interrupted. I think the good Samaritan had a schedule. He had a reason for going down the Jericho Road. He had an appointment or a wedding or something that he was going to. There was someone on the other end he was probably meeting. He couldn't just call on the cell phone. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be a little bit late. But he's willing to sacrifice, to be inconvenienced, potentially even for his reputation to be tarnished because he doesn't show up on time because he's, he's responded to an invitation in front of him. And here's what I've landed on, and you probably read about this in, in the blog if you got that, and if you're not signed up for that, take a look at our website to sign up. But I wrote, about, I wrote it this way this week. Jesus walked slowly because he knew that what others label earthly interruptions they're often invitations into divine appointments. We're so quick to think every interruption is from the enemy of our soul. When in reality, God is much more sovereign than we could ever imagine. He's arranging people and things so that you can be his hands and feet. And yet, if we're going to wear the light yoke of Jesus, if we're going to learn from the way he lived, we got to walk at his pace. So we got to walk slowly. And there are times to rush in this life. When your wife is in labor and you're going to the hospital, rush. When there's been an accident, rush. If you're on a game show, rush. Otherwise, it's time to take hurry out back and bury it in the backyard. Here's the quote that has arrested my soul. And it is the inspiration for the book that Amy and I were talking about. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We'll keep coming back to this Dallas Willard quote. 2022 has to include eliminating hurry from our lives if we're going to walk in Jesus' way. And you don't just simply decide to eliminate, I think I'm just gonna eliminate hurry from my life this week. I'm just gonna decide to be disciplined and you know, principled and poof, it's all done. And by the way, this is not the self-help version that says, you just gotta work harder. It's not about that. It's always gonna be about surrendering more with Jesus, not working harder. We need to work out a rest. We'll talk more about that later. It's about behaving our way into new rhythms, new habits. And so as we're going through this series, and I'm going to take my time with this. Why? Because I'm 
and this posture of being slow. We're emphasizing postures, mindsets, approaches that will lead to new healthy, holy habits. This is not a one-size-fits-all, just check this box. This is behaving your way in in small ways, practical ways, new habits in your mind and your body that will lead to healthier rhythms and more present with God, with yourself, and with others. So this posture of slowing, I'm, I'm breaking it down to these three things here. Um, first, resisting the world's pace. This is the resistance that we see in Mr. Rogers. And it says, no, I am not going to let the world tell me how fast to live because the world's speed is not human. Two, acquainting yourself with waiting. We hate waiting. And yet God does all his good work in the waiting room. All of our incredible formation has happened as we wait on him. And we are attend to him. And third, Creating margins in our life. And that's the one you go, oh no, please. You're going to mess with my schedule. I'm not going to mess with your schedule. Jesus is. Dr. Richard Swenson defined margin this way. Margin, Swenson says, is the space between our load and our limits. So we're currently carrying a load, but our capacity to carry is our limit. So most of us have filled up our lives to the point where we have little to no margin, the zero space between our load and our limit. We're at our max, which means that we live at our breaking point with nothing left to give. All it takes is one thing to set you off. That's why when the guy pulls in front of you, you say words that you can't repeat in church. Or that's why when you have a medical emergency and a bill is coming in, you lose your mind. When limits become our load, that's when we experience burnout and depletion. That is not the full life that Jesus has for us. John Orkberg and a guy named Richard Foster, maybe names that you have heard before, both talk about this practice of uh, the spiritual discipline of slowing. That's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Ortberg would say, it's cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Oh no, that sounds awful. Wait, Andrew, you're suggesting that we, we, we wait in long lines and, 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 and it sounds like Disneyland except for there's no right at the end? And, and are you trying to punish us? What is this legalism? Here's the plan. We're smart, starting small and slow and trying to do things that will allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind and our body because we live in these bodies and beginning to reprogramming our moves to mimic and be at the same pace as Jesus. This slowing gives us more chances to see where God's working, to join him in the work like our friend Pops would. It invites us into new places of prayer because we're not filling every single moment with noise. It increases presence to ourself, to God, and to others. So, the goal, are you ready for this? Is to slow your pace down. 
Andrea, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. I mean, I have so much on my plate. There's so much going on. Guess what? I got 15 ideas for you right now. 15. Not one, not three, 15. I'm gonna credit John Mark Comer, who in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, gives most of these as suggestions, and then I've tweaked it and I added a few, but uh, the first have to do with uh, the first five. I'm gonna put them, put them up on the screen in groups of five. First five are all about driving. Because I think all, most of us drive and most of us can kind of relate to this. And, and you say, I don't have time to do another thing. No, no, I'm going to talk about the things you're already doing that we need to do differently with a different pace. So drive the speed limit. Not what you can get away with. Not below the speed limit. That's irritating. This is about detoxing our brain from its addiction to dopamine and the instant gratification of speed because that's the way we're, our, our culture is wiring us. Therefore, we intentionally purpose ourselves and put us, ourselves in a place to govern our speed. Driving in the slow lane, just rock it like grandma. We used to have an Oldsmobile. We called it the Oldsmobile barge. It just was like a, like a boat. It just kind of like drifted. Driving is a great time to pray. Don't you know this? But don't close your eyes while you're driving and pray. Come to a full stop at stop signs. None of this California stuff, right? Why? Because when you're rolling through, you're not really going slow. You're, well, it is slow-ish. But this is about discipline. Do you see these little tiny things we begin to discipline ourselves in? Don't text and drive. Do I have to say that? By the way, I've done it before. But there are different modes where you can turn on the do not disturb on driving mode. The latest that has been my favorite is don't turn the radio on. I love listening to either music or sports talk radio in the, in the car. My, my hand automatically goes to the thing. And I'm like, recently, I'm, because I'm trying to live these things out before we talk about them, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to turn the radio on. I'm going to have it be quiet in here. And that's so sweet. Sure, it's awkward for the first 25 seconds. I'm like but I really want to know what's going on with the 49ers. Are they going to start Jimmy Garoppolo today? What's going to happen? Are they going to win? Dude, just be present to yourself and driving, please. And all of a sudden, I'm finding I'm praying about a lot of stuff when I'm driving. You know what I've noticed sometimes? I'm driving and I'll see someone that looks like someone else and the Lord's going, hey, that looks like somebody else. Pray for them. I saw a lady the other day that looks like one of our friends who lives in Arkansas. I know it wasn't her. She lives in Arkansas. And I'm like, Lord, you must be asking me to pray for Betsy. So I started praying for Beth- Betsy. I haven't called her yet, but I don't have to call her. I just want to be obedient. The Lord's going to invite you on these adventures if you just clear your mind a little bit and be available to him. So don't turn your radio on. Next five. By the way, these aren't rules. These aren't, this is not legalism. This is just ideas for you. And maybe you could try a few with me. We can experiment. We're behaving our way into some things. Here's my favorite all morning. Single tasking. Single tasking. Because multitasking is actually a myth. Only God, listen to me, can be omnipresent. When we multitask, we try to be God. Because I inhabit a body, so do you. I can only be, do, do one thing and be at one place in one time. 
Multitasking is just sleight of hand for switching back and forth really fast to a lot of different tasks so you can do them all poorly instead of one really well. And it's all about pace. We think we're beating the system. Walter Brueggemann said, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practices yield a divided self with full attention given to nothing. Wow. I want to be fully present. Multitasking does not take you towards slowing. It takes you to hurry. Walk slower. Uh, full disclosure, I am a fast walker. My family has, has said for years, yep, there's dad. He's walking like his butt's on fire. I learned a few years ago the street pastor saunter. It's a little bit like the Don Rogers saunter. It says, I got to walk slow enough that if I catch someone's eye, I can say hello and see what God's doing. Walking slower is key to being present. Only if you're freezing to death should you walk quickly. Just my, my two cents. Okay. Show up 10 minutes early with no phone. How often, how, many, how often do you go to the doctor's office, whether you're early or not, and immediately you get your phone out and you're doing this? You're not present to anyone, including even yourself. What if you left your phone in your car or you put your phone in your pocket and you kicked it old school and you pulled out one of those magazines? Or you began praying for the people around you? Because if you're in a doctor's office, probably everybody in there has something going on. Even if you don't know what it is, just begin interceding. Um, cook your own food and eat in. More on this later in the series. We've reduced eating to something that we inhale on the way to other places. Fast food is fast. It's not food. Plus, it's not really honoring the, your temple. We'll talk about that too. All kinds of wonderful things to talk about in the series. If we're going to truly connect with people, Sitting down for a meal is oftentimes the most powerful, best time. It slows us. Can you think of the last time you sat down at a meal with someone for more than an hour? I bet you're thinking of it fondly. Unless it was Thanksgiving and you felt tortured by your Uncle Louis and his political views or whatever, then maybe not so much. Well, Getting into the longest checkout line at the store. What in the world are you thinking, Andrew? This is a great place to learn. Because y'all, we're in kindergarten when it comes to waiting. Right? This is an opportunity to pray, to take inventory of your emotional, mental state, to ask the Lord what's happening in there, and then actually engage with the cashier as if they're a human. I'm amazed at how many people have their... I mean, they're like listening to a podcast and doing other things and they treat the, the cashier like they're an ATM machine or something like that. This is an awesome opportunity to connect. I found myself, Winco is kind of my, one of my fishing holes. I love to I shop there. It's great prices. This is not a promotion. It's just close by. And uh, so I found myself trying to go to the same checkers every time to try to get to know them. And uh, I got to know this one checker so well, she asked me out on a date that was super awkward. I was just trying to be kind and uh, my intentions were misappropriated. Uh, 
Um, but I suppose I, I, I did something right. I, I was at least personable and kind. And I prayed for her on multiple times uh, through her line. I, I always wear my wedding ring. I don't understand why that's not really clear. But it is, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, the deeper motivation, why am I saying this? The deeper motivation is it's wise to regularly deny ourselves from getting what we want, whether it's a practice of inten- as intense as fasting or as small as picking out the longest checkout line because that way when someone denies us what we think that we, what we want, we don't respond with anger because we're used to denying ourselves. We've already acclimated to that. We don't have to get our way to be happy. You see how these small things end up being large things later. Well, I need to speed up and finish here. Um, Last five. You like that? Yeah, I figured you would. Smartphone notifications. Turn them off. They're from the devil. 2017 study found that just being in the same room as our phones, even if they're turned off, will reduce someone's working memory and problem-solving skills. Your phone will shout at you and get you to, to live at its pace. You tell it what to do. You change your notifications. Um, parent your phone. Put your phone to bed. Before you go to bed, put your phone to bed. And let your phone sleep in. Um, it fits into number 13, and that is no phone before Jesus. There's a church in Australia that says, win the day. Here's how you win the day. By meeting up with Jesus in whatever way that looks like for you before your phone tells you what the world looks like and how things look. I don't want the world to tell me what the world is going to be like. I want Jesus to inform me, and then I will take that to the world. Those are small things, right? 75% of people sleep next to their phones. 90% of us check our phones immediately upon waking up. Don't let the world set your emotional equilibrium and your news feed set your view of the world. Win the day. So if you're a business person, set set times for email, stick to it. It's a pretty commonly commonly known thing. Set a time and and time limit for social media and television. This is a, a massive area that we can talk about later. Once we start moving and living at a slower pace, it will help us to naturally respond and love others in the moment when we're interrupted. Instead of being all put out, we can flex and we can partner with Jesus. So if you'd stand, I really want to pray for us that we could live into this. And um, thanks for hanging a few extra minutes. I know we needed to talk about sabbatical and some other things. and, And I was trying to talk so slowly, I ended up going long. I thought it was going to be like really ironic if I rushed through this sermon. So like I was sitting next to one of the guys who started what you would know as Google Earth recently. I just happened to be sitting at a dinner with him. He's a believer. He looked at me and he said, you know, one of the things I'm learning is to be gracious to myself. Then when I blow it, I just go, okay, I'm just going to welcome myself back into another effort for this. And here's a very high-level leader in the business world who is relearning once again what it looks like to be gracious with ourselves. And this is not a legalistic 15 items to go and do this and work harder. 
This is about us beginning to try some of these things, experiment with the Holy Spirit and say, all right, Jesus, which two of the three of these we're going to try this week? Maybe it's driving the speed limit. Maybe it's turning the radio off. Maybe it's just winning the day. But I can tell you that if you begin to get a win in one area, it will overflow into the rest of your life. Prayer folks, if you'd come forward, we're going to have prayer folks here to pray for you. I decided recently I was going to win in some area. I decided flossing my teeth was going to be my win. Because somehow I thought I was going to get back at the man by not flossing my teeth. All I'm going to do is end up like getting cavities and then it's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of money. But somehow, like, I was like, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm free. I, I don't have to floss. What's wrong with you, Andrew? I'm, I'm joking, right? So I decided I'm going to floss every night. I've been flossing every night for like over a month. And that habit is beginning to take hold. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing other areas of my life coming into alignment because I introduced a small thing. So I just want to encourage you. That's a silly thing, isn't it? But like, I want you to understand that if you get some small wins, the Lord will just begin to allow that big snowball to go down the hill. Jesus, help. We really want to walk at your pace. We want to be present with each other and with you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.